Welcome to The New Beyond, a podcast that invites listeners to learn how to not only think outside the box, but learn how to live outside it, out in what I call The New Beyond. What's that, you ask? Well, first, let me tell you what it's not. It's not the new normal, nor is it the new abnormal. The new beyond is a place in consciousness that lies beyond ideas of normal and abnormal. It's a place where the new comfort zone has much more to do with your willingness to play big and be uncomfortable while you're learning how to navigate this brave new world. Hello, I'm Dr. Judith Rich, an octogenarian, coach, and author of the best-selling book, Beyond the Box. I've spent the last 46 years in the field of transformation, coaching people all over the world how to identify and break through old patterns and limiting beliefs that have kept them stuck and challenged to move their lives in the direction of what matters most. In this podcast, I'll be your guide. And from time to time, we'll hear from some interesting people in the field of transformation and others who by example are courageously tearing down old walls reinventing themselves and building their lives in the new beyond. Join me as we begin an adventure in going beyond where you think you can go. Let's dive in. Hi listeners, this is Judith Rich. I'm just popping in here with a little heads up for y'all. We're taking a short break from now until mid-September. So don't go anywhere. We'll be back in a few weeks with all new guests and some surprises. So we'll see you in a few weeks, but now on to today's episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The New Beyond. I'm Judith Rich, and I am very excited to continue the exploration of this series on courageous leadership in The New Beyond. When I first got the idea, I reached out on Facebook and inquired of people in my community, who do I know or who do you know that is experienced and an expert in communicating across divides, given the degree of polarization that we're experiencing in the United States today and really all around the world. And the very first name that was offered to me is my guest on today's episode. So I'm excited for you all to meet Lori Brewer Collins. Let me tell you about her. Lori Brewer Collins provides executive coaching and consulting for senior leaders and their teams. For over 25 years, she's worked with executives within complex multinational organizations in over 30 countries to develop and implement strategic initiatives. Her work includes executives and high potential development, as well as succession planning. She also designs and manages large scale leadership initiatives. Her clients are from the private and public sectors, including technology, professional services, retail, pharmaceuticals, international finance, and there's a whole list here. <laughs> Let's just say we'd be here for a while if I named all of them. Lori's approach leads to deeper cognizance and application of transformative principles, thus our connection to one another. 
She is a recognized thought leader in the field of vertical development, polarity management, and global leadership agility. Her specialty is expanding individual and collective capacities to navigate complexity, engender cross-functional collaboration, and lead system-wide innovative transformation. Lori is a frequent conference and keynote speaker. She's spoken at places including Harvard Kennedy School Institute of Politics, University of Chicago Institute of Politics, and again, a whole long list, actually, of very impressive and prestigious institutions. Lori holds a BA from Michigan State, my home state, an MED in Human and Organizational Development from Vander Vanderbilt University, and was a student of theological studies at Vanderbilt Divinity School. Lori has dual citizenship in the US and Belgium and lives between Arlington, Virginia and Brussels. Wow, Lori, I, I totally see why your name was the first name to come up when I inquired about who knows about this stuff. Welcome. Oh, Judith, thank, thank you. And it's just, frankly, it's just a little weird to hear, to, to have that kind of read back to me because my life has been mostly just sort of bumping into things with a, a few areas of being deliberate. And so um, I just really, it was really kind of interesting to, to hear you say those things, but thank you very much for such a gracious opening. And oh, what a delight I, to be in conversation with you today. I'm so I, looking forward to this. Me too. <laughs> I have really been in anticipation of this. You know, I, um, in addition to all of the, all of the qualities that are present in your resume. One thing they don't say in here is humble. Uh, and because I, I think that, you know, wherever it is that you've been bumbling and stumbling your way through and where you parked, you left some pretty significant Aww. big impacts and big marks. So, so good on you. Um, so I wanted to start with I came across a, an opinion piece in the New York Times this morning, and it was a piece about uh, a focus group conducted by Frank Luntz of the New York Times. He's a, an opinion pollster. And uh, he brought together seven Trump voters and seven Biden voters. So let's just say, politics aside, those two categories definitely represent some pretty deep polarization. And the purpose was to understand what drives polarization in the country. And um, when I look at your, you know, everything, all my research on you, the one quote that stands out for me in relationship to this, you said, People have lost the art of being both direct and kind. <laughs> do you remember saying that? I do not. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 I think that's still a true statement. I, I think that's become just something that we literally do not have the skill to know how to do well. And you really and, notice when somebody can do it well, but it's so. Rare. So is that part of your work that you go in and and really facilitate expanding people's ability to communicate with empathy and 
understanding. It, talk to us about how do you how do you approach because I know this is really a major focus of your work. How do you approach facilitating communication across the kind of polar divisions that that not only that we have in the country and certainly that you experience when you go into an organization working with teams and systems? How do you approach that? Mm. So to me, the absolute foundational piece is you start with relationships. And I think one of the things that I've learned how to do is to slow the action down enough amongst Mm. people Mm. that it will then accelerate the conversation when you need to heat it up. But so often, I think we go directly into trying to address this challenge. How can we, what's going on with polarization? How do we get a discussion group on what the issues are and what that looks like? And you name the question and we tend to dive right there. Mm -hmm. And, and we're not ready. We're, we're not looking at each other as, as real people. And so my approach is to first to get, to get people to come together and first see one another. And, and we do it through some very simple ways, but in the process, I ensure that people are at least listened to and do enough that you, that they can feel like they're at least being heard, not agreed with. We're not talking about coming to some agreement. We're not compromising. We're not getting to a place of um, we have to solve this or share this. Let's just start with who are you? What's up with you? What's gone on in your life? Who are you as a human being? Oh, by the way, we really have a tremendously diverse sense of what we think is important in the world. Our belief systems are completely different. Our values may be very different. Actually, the values may be very similar, but how we demonstrate and manifest them may be very different. And there's all kinds of reasons that I, you could be somebody I don't ever want to talk to. Mm-hmm. And yet, if I start to get to know the real you, I start to have mm-hmm. some discovery both about you, but also me. So for me, it's, it's you take the time and there's a lot you can do in a short period of time for people to get to a space where we're not immediately into problem solving. Rather, we're mm. here to get to know more about this other human being and to start seeing each other that way. I mean, I know you're a coach. You know this as well as anybody. Yes. All kinds of sociological studies and who we were and the, the, the neuroscience behind why we're so predisposed to other the you know people yes. like us. Yes. It is pretty wired in there. Yes. And yeah, with deliberate, de- with deliberate nudging or midwifing or whatever you want to call it, but with deliberate intention, we can choose one of the, one of the things that does make us unique in the mammal world is we can choose to not let that be our primary driver so that I can really take in the fullness of something about you, even though my first instinct might be, we don't have anything in common and you're not somebody I want to get to know. Yeah. It's like, I can't even see you because I can't see beyond my own stereotypes. I can't see beyond my reactivity. I can't see beyond my interpretations of who I have made up that you are, who I think you are. You know, this brings to mind for me a South African term uh, that is Saubona. Are are you familiar with Saubona? I'm not. What is Saubona? I, I teach it. this. I te- and you might you, feel free to use. Can this. I borrow this? It Can I feel it? You? Yes. <laughs> yeah. By the way, listeners, we're calling this episode the alchemy of leadership. 
And right here is an example <laughs> of what we're talking about. So yes, something I would love to offer you is this South African concept called Saubona. And it means literally, we see you, oh. we see you. And it is the way in South Africa that people greet each other. Instead of saying hello, they say Saubona. Mm. And this is saying, we see you. Now, who is the we that is referred to here? It's not just an I, it's we, meaning in South Africa, all my ancestors are present in this moment. So I'm seeing you through the eyes of my ancestors, and I'm also seeing you through the eyes of the divinities. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a namaste. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing you through the eyes of the celestial realms, through the divinities. So I'm seeing you in a, I'm not seeing you just with my ocular system. I'm seeing you with my heart. I'm seeing you through the eyes of spirit, soul, you know, everything that a South African tradition and African tradition would bring to this experience that I teach people to connect and be present from a Salbona place, a witnessing who you are, which really speaks right into what you, uh, how you work with people. And I would love to share, I'll share a resource with you uh, privately on <laughs> how you can learn more about it. There's a wonderful video from the Global Oneness uh, Project that uh, it's just this beautiful presentation, but I think it would really support the work you're doing. I, I am stealing the term immediately. I look forward to learning more about it. And I'm just, I'm grateful for, um, for just the expansive way that you even describe that. You know, it, it does kind of speak to sort of the namaste or the, you know, kind of an acknowledgement of something, the, the, the bigger you that's inside this connection that's going on. And it, I don't know how, I don't know how you feel about this, but it's, it's almost like, and I'll say Western tradition, because I, that's the language that I know to use, but mm -hmm. it's almost like we've devolved something from that. I mean, our individualistic way of sort of approaching, you know, everything and seeing ourselves as individuals and not part of a collective and not tapped into our ancestry and the celestial heights that, that is waiting to, to inform and to be available. Yes. So, so much of what um, I think is resonating in what we're talking about right now is how do you assist people to start to access that in my world, that access is often, I'm going to use the word subterfuge. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I'm, if I'm in a corporate environment, there's, that's a language that would, would kind of um, betray the spirit of what I've been asked, asked to do. Yes. And yet as people, there's ways that you can bring in the language and provide the setting. And, and I call it a crucible, really. It's, it's, you create yes. the container and you put in the raw ingredients. It has to start with the, the people who are in there. And then you do some heating up and some pressure and some challenging and also allowing for some reflection and opportunity to make meaning of what's going on. And therein lies using that terminology. Now we can be sort of open to more of what, we can have access to, but not using 
not using the terms that would that would keep people from hearing it. Right, right. And mostly just want them to experience it. Right, so right. What I do is just let's experience it. You can call it whatever you want to. Mostly I want to elevate, what are we doing? We're elevating your sense of consciousness within yourself. Yes. And then you are acknowledging and assisting the elevation of the consciousness around you. So collectively we're, we're helping each other. And, and the groups that I've pulled together around the political realm, people have never met. They don't know who's going to be there. And I don't send them an agenda now not usually the formula for getting a lot of participation. <laughs> you know, It's like, I'm not going to tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to take you out to the middle of nowhere for three days. You won't even know, there's no list of, of who else. So you and aren't so even going to know who else is there. You don't even know because I don't want you coming in with that frame of, mm -hmm. I already have a strong opinion mm. of who you are and what you might be. And and so by by some magical miracle, people have said yes to this, often because they've been recommended by someone they deeply trust. And so you bring them together. And, and so we start from this complete place of unknowing. And it allows for who are you today? Who are mm. you in this moment in this setting? Mm. And what will you choose to reveal about who you are in this place, in this setting, in this moment in time? that then becomes part of the of the collective airspace of what we're going to try to do. And I am convinced people are just kind of aching to be able to have this opportunity to, to share what's real, what's real about who they are, their real experiences. They quickly become very vulnerable in what they share, very transparent with what happens. And it doesn't take that long. That's It's like if we would just stop the noise and stop long enough to actually just pay attention to one another and let each other speak and to to take off your own filters. And in this case, very strongly held, you know, partisan, politically biased ways of, of viewing the world. Just stop long enough that you're actually seeing the person. And now, now let's let's get to know each other better. And then we can start to pull in what really matters to us and the challenges that are before us and how differently we might approach that. But now I'm hearing you. And my idea is that, and what, what I think has worked in those settings is you come in with your thinking and I don't need anybody else really to know my thinking many times. I mean, things like this, you and I, I will get some insights from this and it's a great learning opportunity. And I could be in other settings where somebody would ask, what do you think? And I would you know, I just go into my brain and there it is. I pull it out. So it's kind of with me and I haven't learned very much. So in the settings that I like to create, it's, it's, you have your point of view. You have a very strongly held point of view. Often you've got all the rationale, all the reasons that you think that, and here's an opportunity to just broaden what you understand about an issue. And so I don't even call it building common ground which is fine. That's often a negotiating technique. Let's broaden the common ground so we can come to some agreement for moving forward. I'm a few steps before that. I'm saying, let's just know what the ground is we're standing on. I've got my little slice that mm -hmm. I understand. Have I taken the time to really look at the ground you're standing on and mm -hmm. really understand it? Could I speak on behalf of it? Could I explain to somebody else, this is really do this you know, political frame and the way that she's looking at it? And the answer in these circumstances is almost always no. We think we do. We've read the New York Times or Washington Post or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, we've read mm -hmm. our whatever it is that we watch or read. And we think that we can speak on behalf of, but we haven't really 
we haven't challenged ourselves to really discover, to really find out. So I love the idea of expanding the ground we stand on so that I know where I am. And I also know where this other, other sets of ideas and, and humanity and experiences where it stands. Now I'm in a much better position to think through how do we want to meet this challenge? How do we want to come across it? Because I now know more. I now know way more than I did when I walked in. And, and to me, that's elevating the conversation. It elevates the intelligence of what we're capable of by looking at this broader piece. We don't always come up with a solution, but I think it informs people to go in their own spheres of influence and just be more informed, bring a richness and to, to it that they didn't have before they before they allowed this other sets of points of view to come in. You know, I, <laughs> this is so, this is so juicy and powerful, Lori. I think perhaps the solution is the process itself. Mm-hmm. You know, that it's the solution yeah. isn't necessarily a result outside the process, but the huh. solution is inherent in the process itself. Oh, I like that. I want to give that more thought. I really like that idea of that. Yeah. Well, you know, this is what we, this is what I teach about transformation, Mm -hmm. that transformation is not, there's no destination. There's no place to get to in the transformation process, but the purpose is to be in the process itself. I love it. I love that. And so then that's actually, that's a developmental skill to be able to know how to place yourself into a developmental process and to kind of sit in it and and rest in it and be in it. Well, that's exactly what you're providing for people because as you were describing that environmental, that environment that, you know, where you brought the people to three days out in the middle of the woods and all of that, <laughs> that's exactly how I have worked with people in public, public groups of people, not mostly in retreat settings, such as you sometimes, mm-hmm. mostly in hotel rooms, conference rooms, people coming together for three, five days and really dive, you know, with no, pretty similar to what you described, no pre-knowledge about who else is there, no knowledge about what we're going to cover. In fact, we ask people not to disclose, people who have already had that experience, we ask them not to disclose the content, you know, what they actually covered so that the new people who come Nice. you know, come with beginner's mind, yeah. don't have any preconceived ideas. So I think that's really what you're doing. And maybe we're just putting some, connecting some dots and putting some language to it. Yeah. And I mean, and it also suggests, you know, the, 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 the beauty of multiple ways of, of, of how you can work and what you can be bringing into the world. And, you know, I also do something quite different when I am with corporate groups, this is more the political groups. I mean, you sort of, you sort of have this beautiful smorgasbord in front of you of what you could actually, what you're going to make of it. What's yes. what, does, what does the container that you're going to be moving into and how do I optimize that as much as I can? Um, th- there's something that you said that I, I'm going to take a half step back if that's okay, but sure. in our first conversation, when I, you just said the term, the new beyond, which I think is brilliant. And I think so descriptive. Um, and then just since then, talking to different clients as, as recently as an hour before you and I talking with somebody who they are, they're trying to craft, how do we come back to work? You've heard this theme now many, many yeah. times yeah. and the realities of, of how do we 
what do we do with different generational ideas of what dress ought to be looking like? What kind of, how do we make something that's not privileging one sort of way of being over another and yet be sort of fair, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's really shifted, mm -hmm. but the notion that came up with it that I wanted to, to bounce off of you um, is like, we're, we are back to being pioneers. So leadership yes. today, we yes. are, it's the, it's the age of pioneering. It's oh, yes. similar. It is unknown territory. And you know, you don't have many scouts out there who can say, oh, well, you know, in this X amount of distance, there's going to be a mountain range. You're going to have to do this. It is so emergent. It has become so fluid that, that there's a different level of readiness that has to happen. The readiness now has to be from within. Exactly. Literally from, you have to have a strong core of who you are in the midst of all of these external forces or else it's just almost not navigable. You so, know, this is, yeah, this is precisely what you just articulated is precisely what had me actually even start this podcast, mm -hmm. which is called the new beyond. And it came out of, it came out of my experience during the pandemic, which is how quickly everything changed. How in the blink of an eye, you know, literally in the blink of an eye, the entire world, the entire planet was impacted. And in my lifetime, you know, other than like I was born right after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. So I was a, I was really an infant and a young child during World War II. Not really. I don't really have memories of that. I have memories of things like rationing and you know just you know my mother you know there weren't wasn't butter so my mother there was this thing this new thing back then called margarine <laughs> and it was actually I don't know what it was I think maybe it was lard or I don't really know what it was but it was this it was this bunch of white goop that came in a plastic <laughs> bag it came in a plastic bag with a little red dot in my job was to massage the bag. The red dot was food coloring. My job was to massage the bag. Boy, am I going off on a tangent here? <laughs> and and turn the white goopy stuff yellow. So at any rate, um, yeah, I actually lost the the. Well, we were just we are we are really we're really pioneers. And back the, the time of, like when I think of my dad's career his his corporate career there were people who had had already walked that pathway so there was clarity around sort of what to expect what to do you know sometimes it's called mentoring but sometimes it's mm -hmm. it's just the understanding organizational dynamics etc there's still some of that at play you still need to be savvy to the the political arena that that we are if you're an organization to me you are political so you can't it's important that a lot of my executive coaching is getting so you can kind of understand and, and see what that what that really means. But the whole notion that you can now turn to somebody and say, what next? I mean, we just are not walking around with a lot of answers. We got some people who think they have the answer. And part of what happened to me that I saw really come to the surface during the pandemic was you had strong voices saying, I've got the answer. Mm -hmm. The thing about something mm -hmm. as complex as yes. COVID-19 was it needed to be a multiplicity of perspectives. There were many different approaches and it wasn't just this or that. This is where the media drives me crazy when it will ask the dualistic yes, no question. Do you think it should be this or that? 
And the answer is yes, it needs to be both, right? And it's, um, and so the pandemic just brought so many things to the forefront, how quickly yes. chaos, Yes. who do we become in chaos? Yes. How do we navigate that? And it didn't matter if you referenced whatever, what the Spanish flu got brought up a lot. It, it, the conditions and the context are just so completely, utterly different. So I also think, I, I maintain that the pandemic was one of the great accelerators of developmental progress. Oh, absolutely. Because if you could make it through navigating yes. that complexity, you are you are changed. You're a different absolutely. leader today and you can handle more. And the idea then is how do you lead those around you, not because you have all the answers, but because you know how to access exactly what we said a few minutes ago, you're able to access what's most true from within and work with that emerging essence, that that emerging um, consciousness of, of kind of reading what's going on and knowing how to move through that. But something very true within you is is the rudder. It's really holding you okay and safe. And people need you to do that. I mean, Absolutely. The people who are following you need you to have that center. Yes, exactly. And that really, okay, so now I'm picking up the thread. You, you talk about we're pioneers. Um, you know, what inspired me, first of all, was turning 80 in February and it was like, whoa. <laughs> and will people be able to see you or do you do this visually or is it all audio? This is all audio. Because it's uh, all audio. I just want your audience to know you are the most gorgeous, youthful. I mean, you just exude unbelievable energy. And if you had not told me, there is no way. Not that, and this is what 80 looks like. Like this is today's 80 and it's phenomenal and it's fantastic. And we all have a lot to look forward to. Thank you. So I hope that's encouraging all my, all my peers out there. Come on. It's never too late. It's never too late. Um, you know, so yeah, I'm sure you know the Rumi poem, Out Beyond Ideas of Wrongdoing and Right Doing. There's a field, I'll meet you there. So that I'm calling that field the new beyond, which is beyond. It's not the old, and it's not whatever, whatever is gonna replace the old is not here yet. We're in that place in between. Yes. And so we're beyond old paradigms, we're we're beyond old norms. And like you, like you suggested, I think so, so powerfully, leadership is going to come uh, from within there. There's nothing out there that's going to show us where to go. We are the ones who are here creating it in the moment. And so who are we being exactly? I mean, you are echoing my sentiments, my consciousness, my grounding, my teaching. I knew there was a reason why I <laughs> why wanted you to be on here. <laughs> yeah. And what, well, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say the other piece as you were speaking, I'm reminded too, that it's, it's no longer the singular leader, is it? I mean, it's a collective. Yes. And so how we even approach the pioneering frontier of moving ourselves through this complexity, it's also how do we how do we combine the magic of who we are as a collective? So even in an organization where it's really easy to sort of point to the leader who does hold a certain kind of real estate around what they're responsible for and accountability and, and those kinds of things. But the really wise leaders of today understand the notion of it being a collective, that it's really, and and, and they've done that throughout quite a while. You, you hear a, a good CEO say, I'm, I'm smart enough to know to surround myself with smarter people, smarter than me. Yeah. But I'm, I think you and I are taking it past that. It's not, 
it's not just about the problem solving. It's really who do we become as we take a look at that horizon of where we're going. And I'm I'm passionate about, I want to assist the development of leaders who are looking past just their own organizations too. I mean, if we want a, a healthy planet, we need to be looking at this the horizon of our organization and way beyond there too. So that to me would be part of the roomy um, the field where we meet, that it would be the beyond the beyond that might be the most initial thought that we have, that it's really past that. Absolutely. Which brings me to my next little African share with you, which I wrote it in the chat. Ubuntu. Are you familiar with Ubuntu? That one I am. You I am are. So yeah. I think but that's please. really the yeah. consciousness. But describe it. Yeah. I think well, it's, it, it, it's basically... Uh, I am who I am because of who we all are. So really, we cannot be human beings in isolation from one another, yeah. right? It's it's like we are humans because of our relationship with other humans. You know, we didn't develop, we didn't evolve in isolation. We evolved in tribes and communities. And that's really our, that's our DNA. That's our nature. And I, I think what you referred to earlier and what some of the people who took part in this New York Times uh, um, piece were saying, we've lost connection with community. We live in our little tribes. And you, you know, in watching when I, when someone gave me your name, and I, you know, they they gave me a link to a video that you recorded. And I want to get into this about loyal antagonists. And what you said there really resonated with me. And you said, you know, we live in this narrative, this myth that America is divided and we're polarized and we can't talk to each other. And you said, but what if that's not true? <laughs> and it was that mindset, I think, that really allowed you to challenge that and continue to challenge that. And so would you talk to us about developing, becoming a loyal antagonist? What is that? Oh, thank you for that segue, because it's such an, I just think it's such a crucial, just a crucial perspective. And so becoming a loyal antagonist is accepting that we've got different ways of operating. We may really strongly disagree with each other, we can really deeply respect and have affection for one another. Mm. And so a loyal antagonist is somebody that I can totally trust to support me and totally trust to challenge me, which will help my mm. thinking, which will help help hone what I actually believe or what I actually know. And so really trying to craft, pulling people together who we know from the outset that we have tremendous difference mm. on the surface. I, and I go back to what I've discovered that people ache for connection. And so, yes. yeah, on the surface, we got all kinds of reasons that I shouldn't be listening to you. I don't want to hang out with you. I think you're kind of an idiot or, you know, whatever I might think. And, and when you can really craft the, the context for people to see one another differently and you start to, you start to like them, <laughs> you, you start to, you like, oh, well, they're kind of cool. And we've got really cool stories from <clears throat> when we really were doing, uh, we call them cultivate the caress campfire dot campfire. Oh, yes. <laughs> tell us about that. So cultivate the caress is 
um, too many syllables and nobody knows what a caress is. And it's what I named my 501c3. So idiot that I am. <laughs> I did it though for um, a very uh, out of love and um, a sense of, of honoring uh, my late son. So my son, Jake Brewer, worked at the Obama White House and was killed in a tragic cycling accident. And so sorry. Thank you. Thank you. He was a, a, a shining star and he was um, he was quite something. And he was especially known for being able to bring people together who would otherwise not talk, who would otherwise not choose to meet. So Department of Labor, Veterans Affairs, Department of Education, I mean, whoever the policymaking groups might be who held vastly differing ideas. So he was known for his capacity to bring them into proximity to into space and start having a conversation, usually over drinks, you know, and over just casual, and they wouldn't know that the other people were going to be there. So this was sort of his reputation and it worked. They, I was told by the um, Office of Science Technology Policy Chair, the person that Obama had, had um, assigned, that <clears throat> Jake was able to break through several things that had been sitting there dormant where nobody else was able to kind of push through it because they kept approaching it as the problem to solve. Mm. Jake got them to see each other and to talk. And then from there, they were able collectively to come up with some, <clears throat> some solutions. So on his White House monitor, there was left this post-it note just on a piece of yellow post-it that said, cultivate the caress. And caress is a made up word by Kurt Vonnegut out of his book, The Cat's Cradle. <clears throat> and it, my definition is it, 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 that's based on his definition is a caress is a group of people, a network of people who are connected in cosmically significant ways, but don't know it. Mm. All the work of God. Wow. And so there was nothing else I could name this 501c3. And so the campfire was pulling together about 20, um, 20 youngish. Jake was 34. And so these were people who were sort of the gifted millennials, I call them. So kind mm. of in the hovering mid thirties, maybe getting close to 40, but they are leaders. They were not emerging leaders. These are bona fide, really getting stuff done kinds of leaders and made sure that we had people that represented very strongly both sides of the political spectrum. And that's who was invited to this middle of the woods and there's a lot that can, a lot happens around a campfire with, uh, <laughs> with a lot of alcohol. I was going <laughs> to so, say with, with a glass <laughs> of wine thrown in. <laughs> you got it. And so, and so some of the partnerships that came out of that are just beautiful. And some really, some really cool things have come of that. At one point we started to try to collect the stories of different people and, and um, that ball got dropped, but, but there's, there's some really beautiful things that emerge as a result of people getting to know one another in that context. I mean, and they too, you'd see the most unlikely pairings of people going out to lunch together, taking a long walk. You're thinking this person is, you know, in the, in the past um, um, administration's White House. And this person over here, you know, was the person who was deeply campaigning for the opposition. I mean, it was, it was that kind of, and they just, they were just having such a great conversation and a rich understanding and learning about one another that then was, was, which was the intent. The intent was take that back to your spheres of influence, take that back to the work that you're doing 
and replicate it and see what see what starts to emerge. Beautiful. That that those are Saubona moments. Mm. Those are moments of truly witnessing mm. another human being who they are in their highest from who you are in your own highest. Yeah, beautiful. beautiful. Yeah, I like that. You know, one of the things um, you shared on that video and, and listeners, you want to go out. Um, is it a YouTube video on uh, becoming a loyal antagonist? Yeah, there's a yeah, there should be a couple of them out there. You want to you want to Google Lori Brewer Collins loyal antagonist and watch her video. That was my first exposure to you where you shared about bringing people together in this setting out in the woods and people who normally would never be in a room with one another. And one of the learnings that came out of it, I, I made notes about it. You said, um, instead of a shouting match, you talked about what they found at the end of three days together when they came together. And this, there were several amazing things, but one that I want to point out especially is um, curiosity instead of judgment. Mm. When they came together out of curiosity about who one another was, in uh, what I'm interpreting, instead of preconceived judgments, when they had set their judgments aside and were simply curious. Beautiful. That's like, it. Who who are you? Who are we together? Who are we together? And what what's waiting to happen? You know, what's the possibility here? Because frankly, what's happening right now isn't working. <clears throat> and so yeah. I start that I start that talk by saying we can either essentially we can either buy into the narrative. Yes. That the polarization is so we're so divided that there's no healing to be done. I just think that's I think that's a lazy way out. I think that's too easy. I think it's really simple to pick up the paper and read the stuff and just, okay, I'm not, so I'm not going to do anything. I think that's, that's, that is capitulating to, and, and it's, and it's the easiest path. And the harder path is to challenge yourself literally to go seek out colliding perspectives, go seek out those people who think differently than you go read, watch the, the cable news station that is not your station. Um, and engage differently, but with a spirit of there's there are nuggets of truth in there. There, there is like the universe is filled with nuggets of truth, and and none of us are the arbiters of all of it. And so it, it takes a it takes effort. I think it takes a lot of courage. You have to be willing to let your own belief systems be deeply challenged. And in the process, I think that's the alchemy. That's the, the alchemy within you of what would happen if I took the raw materials of what I already think that I believe and what I think I already know. And I put that all out there in a big question mark and say, really, is this really what it is? And, um, and that said, I mean, doesn't that sound saintly of me? Believe me, there are some people that you know, <laughs> I have no desire to have a conversation with. I mean, there, there's a place where the conversation can't go anywhere. If I'm with somebody that is so right that they're right, that's not actually a conversation. That's that's just sort of me yeah. being on the, on the receiving end of, forgive me to your listeners, but I call it verbal masturbation. It's just really me, you know, yes. they're just getting a chance to spew and I happen to be in the way. So that's a little different than what we're talking about. And I have to subject myself to that. To me, that's almost abusive. So I'm not talking about 
you know, trying to be sort of this, you know, Christ-like figure, you know, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, enlightened being in the midst of all of that. On the other hand, I can still hold that person with compassion. Yes. I, I can choose to, to listen. I, but I just, I'm not going to engage. So I'm not going to come back with anything. I can allow it to be said. And then I can choose what I'm going to do with what is said. Um, and, and one of the options that I don't do anything with it, Yes, you know, I could choose not to even respond because in that setting, it can often be worse, but that's an extreme. Well, where the, the, where the juice really is, I think is where you're a smart, intelligent, opinionated person of, you know, of the world. And you kind of know what, you know, and you've got your points of view and you're articulate. You're going to tell people what it is. Yes. And like hang out with other people that also are all of those characteristics, but who think differently. And that is juicy, good stuff waiting to happen there. And you, I mean, then the alchemy starts to happen within you, your consciousness evolves, you become that instrument, you become more capable of bringing that and manifesting that into the world. And so like the stuff you and I've been talking about, you and I can't do that if we aren't demonstrating at least some nugget of that. I mean, yes, I don't pretend to be, you know, like, you know, I've got my triggers and I've got all the ways that I, you know, I will really react. I mean, and I, I, as long as we're breathing, I suspect that's going to be true, but there is a level of wisdom that can come that can help you for me. Anyway, it helps me know when to shut up or when to allow and when to witness you know, and then, and then when you start to see something happening, how to be able to notice so that it can be amplified and brought to the attention of more people. And it's not because I'm so good at it. It's like, look what you're all doing. Look at, look at yourselves. Look at what just happened. Look how that just pivoted and shifted and changed. And that's transformation. Bam. Mic drop right there. (laughs) That's the kind of leaders that get to emerge now at this moment in our collective history. That's the kind of leadership for the new beyond. You just named it right there. So, so beautifully. Mm-hmm. So on that note, uh, the alchemy of leadership, I, you just mic drop there. One more thing before we close, you wrote an article in medium in November of 2020 on hope and possibility. And at that time, you were expressing the things that were happening in the country back then that gave you hope, such as, you know, the seeing Kamala Harris take her place as the first Black South Asian woman, um, you know, as take her place as vice president. And um, Joe Biden, who had been initiated into loss and and uh, suffering, who chose to transform that suffering into service and um, record voter turnout and things that were happening uh, then that gave you hope. And I'm curious if you had a chance to update that. <laughs> I have not. Uh, what gives you hope today? Oh, What a great question. So, well, thanks for remembering the article and taking time to read it. I'm impressed. Um, And it was such a hopeful moment. And, and um, we've had a lot of reasons to, to, uh, to have to rethink some of that and kind of look at, at what all of that is. 
I think what gives me hope today is I do think slowly but surely there is an urge towards growth, development, and elevation. And the leaders that I get the privilege to work with are very often in this 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 space that that it reflects this emergent um, needing to step up to the levels of complexity. These are really impressive people. Frankly, I don't know how they do it. Like I I could not do what they do, you know, to guide an organization through these through these mm-hmm. waters. Mm-hmm. They give me great hope because they're really switched on. And actually, this belies politics. Um, yes. And I do think there's a place for non-political structures, organizations to strengthen those those arenas, because there's a lot about our political arenas that have let us down. Yes. And, um, and there are some glimmers of light here and there. There are there are um, lessons of courage. You know, you've got certain mm-hmm. leaders who are are truly demonstrating tremendous political courage. Um, for me, most of the courage I see, however, is is outside the political arena. Uh, but it's but it's powerful and strong. And so it's happening. It's happening. It may just not be happening in those places that we were hoping it would happen at that mm-hmm. particular time. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Judith, you and I, I think I'm going to, I bet you I'm going to say something you'll resonate with, which is, you know, there's this moment in time and then there's, there's like the beyond time. Yes. I mean, you know, like there's going to be what we reflect back on. And so I have a tendency to, to stay hopeful because Things are unfolding in ways that tend to be what, and this is a bit of philosophy, but it's as the universe wants it to unfold. I had a deep loss. Yes. And and so that's what life handed me. Mm -hmm. And so the question becomes, what will I do with what has been handed to us? Yes. And so I think we're forever being asked that on a collective. What are we going to do with what's being handed to us? And I think it goes outside of time. And so I can can look at the immediate future the next six months and 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 frankly i can get discouraged i mean we got midterm elections coming up we got a lot happening in these arenas yeah and then i can take myself out further i can look out into a a broader horizon and look at sort of what collectively is happening to us as a species are we will there be enough that energy that um will coalesce into something that's really beautiful and i think there's there's that happening Will it be enough? That just won't be up to me. I I, I don't I don't know. Um, but they're just every once in a while you get that little. It seems like there's a little switch. There's a little something that gives you enough hope yes. that you're ready for the next day. Yes. So I don't have any big hope in a thing. I have hope in the fact that hope kind of comes at us in ellipses. It's like one hope begets another moment mm-hmm. of hope, and and so I. I tend to really rely on that. Um, I really, I've had to live that. I rely on. Yes, yes, yes. I love it. I absolutely love it. And I'm I'm just so, I think this has been a really important conversation today. And I'm, I'm thankful to you and grateful to you for taking the time to, to be with us. And, uh, Many blessings to you on your journey, wherever you go from here. I know you're up to big things in the world and in your life and living in Brussels. (laughs) (laughs) I recommend to anybody to live and work outside your own country in order to see things in a broader perspective. 
you start to see, you start to, it, it'll shift your worldview. And, and I'm a, I'm a patriot, you know, I love my country. And uh, there's some reality checks when you've uh, operated and worked and lived outside of it. Judith, I'm so appreciative for this chance to speak with you. And um, what I'm really loving is how our own conversation sort of emerged and was its own pioneering quality of, we had no, I had no idea what we were going to talk about. So <laughs> what a delight to be able to just, you know, connect on a heart level with somebody who um, I just feel like we share so much and I really appreciate it. It's really, absolutely. Absolutely. Really a, gift, a gift to me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Many blessings to you. Blessings to you. Part where I get to thank my producers, Justina Nielsen and Veronica Arbolita, without whom the idea of doing a podcast would most likely be gathering dust balls in my mind. And my thanks to all of you, dearest listeners, for you are the ones who make this an inspiring adventure for me. I hope it lands that way for you as well. And if it does, please let me know. I love hearing from you. I love hearing your thoughts about these episodes, what's opening up for you, and who and what you'd like to hear from and about in future episodes. Come find me on Facebook, visit my website, or send me an email. I'll leave the details in the show notes. My deep appreciation to every one of you who take the time to write a review, rate, or follow wherever you get your podcasts. I'll see you back here next time out in the new beyond. Many blessings.